You ever wonder why I do what I do as a pastor? No. Is it? Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Move past point one then. Let's go right to point two. I've, uh, I've sat with individuals that were on their deathbed and family members who had someone pass away and they had the question why. Um, I have been in counseling where there seemed to be no hope because there was no relationship with Jesus. I've done weddings before, and I promise that it, this is not just something I'm making up as an opening to a sermon. This is true. I've done two, sites of wedding, two types of weddings. One is a wedding that people have lived together for years. They maybe even uh, you know, have children together, and, and you kind of do the wedding, and it's an event that you go to, but not necessarily a celebration, versus a young couple who haven't been intimate yet, they're not living together, and then you come together and there's a celebration, and I'm telling you, the two parties are just different. And by the way, there's no judgment from me on either, because I don't know where you're living or what you're thinking, or, but I'm just telling you, I've sat in celebrations, I've sat in life and death situations, and I've sat around people just seeking, can I say this, to fill the God-sized hole in their heart with something other than what they've always tried to fill it with. And why I do what I do mainly is because I want people to know what I have. And it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And in my toughest days, where I swore God was abandoning me, he showed up closer than a friend. And my greatest struggles when I've tried to figure out what is going on, I never, and hear this the right way, I didn't get an answer from my wife I didn't get an answer from my mommy and daddy. I didn't get an answer from Dr. Phil. I got an answer from Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And I want people to know what I know and have what I have, and that's a personal relationship. And the reason I tell you that is because I think there was a motivation in King David's heart. Today we're going to be out of 2 Samuel chapter 6, and, and this is a story of the Ark of the Covenant coming back in Jerusalem, and here's what David has experienced. All of the people of Israel had no personal relationship with Yahweh, Yeshua, whatever name you want to put. The King of Kings, our God of God, our Lord of Lords, he wanted them to have the type of relationship that he had, but the problem was the people couldn't have it because they were missing this one important box, about three feet by two feet, called the Ark of the Covenant. You may know about this, you may not, so here's a quick uh, summary of it. Go watch Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, but what you don't know is when they opened the box, whatever that was that flew out, like it wasn't, right? What was in the box? For those who haven't seen it, enjoy Googling that later. Like, so what was in the box was the Ark of the Covenant. It was, or, 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 excuse me, in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. It was Aaron's rotting bud. It was different items that were placed in there. But ultimately, the top of the Ark was this mercy seat with two angels that were facing each other. And this was the presence of God. Once a year, the children of Israel would go into the Holy of Holies and the presence of God would be there. And this is what David wanted everyone in Israel to have was the presence of God, which by the way, I'll give you a hint. It's what I want for every one of us now. Yeah. It hasn't changed after this many thousands of years. We want the presence of God to show up and show in a powerful way. But it was interesting, the ark wasn't there because the children of Israel had abused the relationship with God. 
So here's what was happening. They were fighting the Philistine army, and the Philistine army was continuing to beat them. And the children of Israel, rather than seeking the face of God, they said this, every time we've ever taken the Ark of the Covenant into battle with us, we've won. So rather than seeking what God wants today, we're going to use the methodologies of days gone by. It's always worked this way, and if we tell God to do it this way, he'll come through for us. So the children of Israel, they go marching into battle. They have the ark on their shoulders, and they absolutely got beat. And the Philistines took the ark of the covenant back to their, their god, Dagon. You may know of him. You've heard that name before, half man, half fish. And the ark of the covenant was sitting in the temple. This is just, you should go read this on your own. <clears throat> uh, Every morning they would come in and Dagon would be fallen down in front and eventually like broken. And it, the Philistines realized something fishy was going on. I waited for it. I knew, I knew the response I was going to get, but you know I love cheesy pun dad jokes. So uh, do you know when a joke becomes a dad joke? It's a parent. Okay, so now the children of Israel want the Ark of the Covenant back. I'm aware. Just move on. So the Philistines knew they had to get rid of this ark. It was putting boils all over. By the way, I have another really bad joke. <laughs> and I feel like the last one was such hostile that I should try this one. No. So the, the Philistines wanted this ark out of their temple, their, their camp. So they put it on this cart and they sent it away. And eventually it showed up at this guy's house. And this guy's house was being prosperous. David looks upon the hill and he goes, we got to go get the ark back here in Israel. So it, David took this like... 30,000 guys, and it was all excited, and this whole army went out, not army, it was actually musicians and parties, they went to get it, and David and the Israelites built a brand new ark, or a brand new cart, which by the way, just think about this, it, a cart is nothing but big wheels and some boards, right? And they loaded this up on it, and they start walking back, and everyone's celebrating, and there's a big party happening out in front of the ark on top of this brand new cart, big wheels board, and all of a sudden, the ark starts teetering back and forth. And by the way, 2 Samuel 6, go read this for yourself. Uzzah, when the ark started teetering, reached out to steady the ark. God was upset with the way that Uzzah approached the ark, and Uzzah died right there on the spot. And you might look at that and you go, are you kidding me? Just because he approached the ark incorrectly, God killed the guy? Well, eventually they parked the ark at this other guy's house for about three months and the whole house prospered. Why did the house prosper? Because the presence of God was there. And then we'll get to the rest of the story in a minute. So here's what I was thinking about as I was reading this. So David wanted the ark of the covenant to go before him. So what did he do? He put the boards together. Because every good church needs as many boards and committees as you can get. Right? Because we need to get this thing organized. And then in order to move in the presence of God, the next thing David did was he put some big wheels on it. Because nothing attracts a crowd like the big wheels, like the big boys. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get some boards together to figure out our finances, to get the biggest names in we can. Because if big name people come here, next thing you know, the presence of God has to be here, Right? Like, that's the thing. And by the way, the ark is currently on this cart, but what's out in front of it is the biggest party we can have. So as long as we get enough stringed musicians that know how to play fancy guitars, I don't know what this was. I got to be honest. I don't think it looked bad. Maybe that was the anointing of God. I'm just going to, I'm not going to pick that up. Okay. So if we create a big enough party with enough structure and big names 
The presence of God just has to come because that's the method of bringing in God's presence into the place. But the problem is, God isn't going to be entertained because we're entertaining. God's not going to come in because we put enough structures and laws and policies and procedures in place. God's not going to come in because we hired a big enough name to come in and do something. God's only going to come in one way, and that's the way the presence was meant to come in. On the shoulders of people. After three months, David goes back to get the ark, but rather than building a brand new cart with all this pretty wood and these big wheels to bring it on, the people carried it on their shoulders. And here, ready for this? They would take one, two, three, four, five, six steps. They would set the ark down, they would build an altar and sacrifice an ox. They would pick the ark up. One, two, three, four, five, six. Set it down. Built an altar and sacrifice an ox. And you're like, wait, why is this so important? Number one, the presence of God cannot come into this building, into this place, any other way than on the shoulders of us. If you think we can organize a big enough event, put on a big enough party with enough stringed instruments and piano players and, and, uh, and drummers, then all of a sudden God will show up because it's entertaining. We're missing the point of it. It was always meant to rest on us. We are the carrier of God's presence. And then it's interesting they took six steps. What does the number six stand for in the Bible? Flesh. So every six steps along the way, they made sure to stop and sacrifice to their flesh. Because if we go too long thinking it's us carrying in the presence of God, eventually our flesh will get in the way and we will forget the altars that we should have been building all along the way to say this, I'm going to alter my flesh by sacrificing to the Lord. So the children of Israel are now taking one, two, three, four, five, six, setting it down altar. Had to be a massive, massive, bloody, hardworking, intentional way to bring God in. If you think you're going to accidentally stumble into the presence of God in a powerful way in your life, I am sorry to disappoint you. But it doesn't work that way. Now, God may have a providential plan to move into your life and bless you for a season, but it's up to you to continue to build those altars and those sacrifices. And so the children of Israel are now carrying in. There is a massive party happening. They come into, the children, they come into Israel, and as they come in, they, there's this window. It says that, Micah, actually, I think I have this scripture for you, 2 Samuel 6, verse 16. It says this, as the ark of the Lord was entering into the city of David, Michael daughter of Saul, if you don't remember who Saul is, Saul is King Saul, the original king of Israel that David has taken over for. She was watching from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in, his heart, in her heart. Wait a second, this doesn't make sense to me. The king has brought the presence of God back into Israel, and as you are viewing it, you begin despising in your heart what he's doing. Now, part of what he's doing, just so you know, he's down to his fruit of the looms. 
I, do they make those still? Do they still make Fruit of the Loons? I don't know. I'm a boxer's guy. I'm just kidding. I'm not telling you what I wear. So, like, <laughs> so David was down to his underwear dancing and celebrating and rejoicing for God. It was his linen ephod, is, would, would actually be the term. Most likely, it was actually a garment with longer pants. Don't view it as like tidy whities I don't need to make any hand gestures <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I speak it too much, you know. So, uh, I don't know why Italian came out. It did, though. I heard it. So, David is coming in, and he's worshiping so hard that his clothes are flying off. And I find this so interesting in 2 Samuel 6.16, where it says Micah, as, she enter, as he was entering into the city, it said, saw David from her window. And this elevated place, this is where you got to pick. It wasn't a window like she's standing on the side of the road as people are coming down, a double hung that she slid up. It was most likely higher up in this tower from an elevated place of her opinion. And all of a sudden from the window, I don't know how to do it like this. You notice when you look through a window, you have a very limited perspective, Right? You can't see all directions because you have this limited perspective. Micah, from her limited perspective, who didn't make the journey with the rest of the nation to see the price they paid in order to bring God's glory in, from her limited opinion or perspective, she had an opinion how someone else should be acting. Let me just ask you this. Can I, this is off topic. You, do you know any of those people in your life? where they're okay having about 2% of the facts and give you 100% of their thoughts, right? And so now Michael, who's from this very limited perspective, decides she needed to give David his opinion. But here's the thing. David goes on, if you don't mind, let's switch to the next slide, and I'm going to need you to throw it up here for me because I don't have my notes with me. Yep, that's right. I'm just pulling this out. Let's see where we go. Uh, go one more slide for me. In 2 Samuel 6, 20 through 23, it says this, And when David returned home to bless his household, so now on the heels of it, David and the whole nation of Israel, is, they, they passed out food, they passed out bread. If you know anything about um, uh, the Bible, when it comes to the bread, let's say it this way, he was giving them the word to eat. When it comes to the shofars they were blowing at this point in the celebration, so far so good. <clears throat> Don't even acknowledge them anymore? Okay. I love puns. Like, okay. So the thing about shofars, the only way that they work is by something with breath blowing through something that's dead. And it's a representation of the Holy Spirit wanting to blow through our dead flesh. Where did our flesh die? Every six steps when we sacrificed it, right? And so all of a sudden now, David's returned home. Michael hasn't seen any of this. And when Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him, he said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked, better than full naked, just FYI, if next worship service we have together, just keep that in mind. The king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and his servants as, as any vulgar fellow would. Now, I don't know the tone David had, I don't know the attitude that David had, but let me read it the way I would. So David said to her, I was before the Lord. Like, I wasn't worshiping for you. 
I wasn't worshiping for Navigation Church. I wasn't worshiping because of the guests that we have here with us today. I wasn't worshiping because of our online community. I worship because I worship unto God. And then I can see David kind of starting to leave after making that comment. And then circling back. <laughs> By the way, uh, the God that I was worshiping chose me rather than your father above anyone in your household when he appointed me to rule over Israel. And I'm going to celebrate before the Lord. And he goes to walk away. Decides to come back one last time. Now, this just may be because I'm ornery. I get it. David might have been polite, gracious, and all that. But I would have made sure to stick it, you know, just keep it kind of new. And by the way, I'm going to become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But all these slave girls that you spoke of, they're going to hold me in honor because they're going to understand the heart behind the motive. And the heart behind the motive is to worship my Lord and Savior. The worship, the worship that I'm doing isn't to attract the eyes of people. It's because I don't care, and I hope you hear this, I don't care what your limited perspective is on my worship to Jesus. And let's just leave that up there for one time. I have one more scripture that I want to share with you, and I think it's the most important thing for any family that has children to hear. And I'm going to get to that in one second. But here's what I want to say. What happens if the Spirit of God decides next year to fall in this place in a mighty way? Will we become more undignified to worship Him? And all of us right now goes, yes, right? Yes, we'll become more undignified. Okay, let's say this. Every time every person comes to this building to worship Jesus, you cry uncontrollably for three hours. You don't think anyone will have an opinion about what that looks like? What happens if every time you walked into this building and the Spirit of God fell, everybody just fell on the floor and began praying in tongues and no one understood what they said? I got one person excited about that, and they are really far away. They, I heard it. It's way back there. Here's the thing. Would we alter how we do what we do when we do it because we are afraid and concerned what the Michaels in our life would say to us? Or if we walked in here and God said, and by the way, I'm not being crumby, this place is a holy place. Take off your shoes every time you come into this building. But every time we come in, blind eyes are open, deaf ears are open, miracles are happening. Would you really say to your friends, come on in? Or would you be timid to show God the way he's wanting to be displayed? These are hard questions. Because at some point, we care what other people think about us. But the question is, are we willing to sacrifice what it is that we are for the thing that we want to carry the most? And that's the presence of God. And so now, final scripture for you. Ready for this? And Michael's daughter, Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I have one simple thought, and then you may know that having a, kind of some news we want to share with you. What if I told you I think the greatest way to keep your children from ever walking away from Jesus is not to bring them here on a Sunday morning thinking Pastor Aaron and his team will fix them. I pro, I pro, can I just tell you that now? It, it doesn't work that way. You, you mess them up way too long for us to fix them in 30 minutes. 
I mean, it's true. I'm sorry. You're, you are a jacked up parent, okay? We can't fix everything you do. And by the way, I, I'm getting there, and so's my wife. She was up here just declaring it. Not everyone. No, I just, but here's the thing. We, you, 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 it, it doesn't fix them. They're at school for, what, 40 hours a week? And you think a 30-minute Bible study lesson is going to overcome the socialist belief system they're being indoctrinated with every time the yellow buses hijack them? And so, excuse me, I figured I'd give my opinion on that one, but you don't have to like it. It's fact, but okay. And so, when it comes to what I believe is the greatest way for you to keep your children in church isn't necessarily only to teach them a Bible lesson. It's to teach them how to worship God. It's to teach them how to put the ark on their shoulder and carry it in. It can't happen because they learn enough. That's called Gnosticism. You're never going to find Christ that way. It's because we as families, we as parents, show our kids how to worship God when they're in the place that he feels distance. And we show them how to worship God when someone approaches the ark. By the way, Uzzah, his name meant strength. And Eioa, I forgot how you pronounce his name. He was the other guy mentioned by the ark. You know what he was? He was actually energetic fun. So if you think if we have enough strength at the church and friendly enough people standing at the front door, your kids will find Jesus forever, I'm telling you now, the number one way to do it is to show them how to worship at home. Show them how to find God. Turn on a YouTube channel. Turn on a worship experience. Turn on just basic music. And if you go, well, I don't know how to sing, they won't know the difference. But what they will know is in the middle of your living room, when you start crying out for God and the presence falls so thick that you say to your kids, we got to take off our shoes. This is holy ground. Dad, why do I feel like I just need to sit down? That's because it's the kabod of God. It's the weight of God. It's the glory of God falling down. We instruct him not because of the rally that we have once a week. We instruct him because every six days, of, six steps of your life, you stop long enough to alter your flesh for God to reside on your shoulders. So in a minute, let's go back and build an altar. Let's go back and just say, God, where your presence is, is where I want to be. Where your presence is, is what I want to see fall in the house. Before we do that, if you wouldn't mind, give me five, six minutes just to kind of share some news with you. And I've been replaying, actually, here's what I need to do. Make sure, I'm supposed to like get a good spot because we're going to probably clip this out and send it. So here we go, ready? Here we go. Sorry. <laughs> if you wanted a professional, you shouldn't have come here. Or apparently a good husband. <laughs> wow. No, just kidding. Hey, here we go. We good? Well, I'm all centered up. I won't be moving. Here we go. And. <laughs> now it's too serious. I've actually been thinking how I want to announce this and say it, and I've replayed it 20 different ways. And so I figured I'd just go ahead and say it like this. October, 7, October 2017. We listed this property to try to sell it in order to move to something else that God is wanting us to move to. And this past Monday, we officially signed the contract. The money was deposited in our account, and we no longer own this building. Yeah. 
God is good. Okay, story time now. 2017, October, we listed the building. 2017 of December, we actually got a contract on the building. Upon getting a contract for the facility, a few months later, the buyer came back to us and said, hey, we need more time to actually close. Can we pay for more time? And so our contract amount went from one number to another. And by the way, since I know this is going out on social media, I'm not going to say all the numbers. Those just get confusing. But keep in mind, we are non-for-profit with open books. I'm more than happy to talk about this uh, for anyone who would like to know more details. And so uh, we then entered into a contract agreement where we gave him more time. We gave the, uh, let me say it this way, the buyer and his corporation more time to buy it. And there was a couple hiccups along the way, and unfortunately, some lawyers had to get involved, and we finally thought we were on a smooth road. And it was interesting because we weren't sure, Pastor Aaron was here during that time, I know my wife, uh, actually, I believe, Katie, you guys were engaged at that time? So, uh, Katie, I don't know how much was a part of those conversations, but uh, I was over in St. Louis uh, seeing a friend of mine, and it was at the end of a church service, I was hanging out just to see him. This guy was on stage, and he looked at me and goes, who are you? I go, I'm David. He goes, what do you do for a living? I go, I'm a pastor. His next question is a little inside baseball talk. He goes, a real one? (laughs) So that was pastor's ways of saying, do you have a title, or are you a part of a church? Because sometimes we get titles, and we don't want to give them up, hence why I've given myself the title bishop, but no one calls me it. So... (laughs) So I said, no, Navigation Church, some people say the greatest church in all of Illinois, maybe the Metro East. And so that was just for a cheap pop, and I appreciate it. And he said, out of nowhere, he goes, God's about to give you property. And we've been wondering if we should sell this. And next thing you know, a prophet, which I don't know, just starts reading my mail. A month later, myself and the team were up in Portland, and we go up for prayer, and we, the whole team went up there, and it was, hey... We just want to hear from God, and the guy starts praying, and first thing out of his mouth is, man, I don't know what God's about to do, but I see property coming your way. Says almost the same thing. So we think we've heard from God. We're going to walk this journey. God's journey and our destination are two different things. Because it got to the point with the buyer, a lot of items that should have been done, deliverables that should have been had, they were just being missed. And unfortunately, we had to get attorneys involved. To the point where we actually had to sue for breach of contract. Keep in mind, we didn't bring this to you every week. You know why? Because it was miserable. There was just no reason. But God told us this. There was even advice of, hey, we need to get out of this contract. The problem is, I felt like God had told us this was it. And by the way, the amount that we got, we're not getting from anyone else. I mean, God blessed us here. And so, uh, we ended up, every time we went to court, not only did we win, there was almost no fight against us because the, uh, the, 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 the facts, the proof were so in our favor. And I got to the point where we stopped telling everybody the next closing because closings would come and closings would go. And most of the times when we had a court date coming up, a closing was teased just to have something to show to the court to push it off again. So last month, I was preaching on out of the book of Daniel. I don't know if you remember this. We covered the good old stories for 487 weeks. And 
one of those weeks, we covered a guy named Daniel. I came home and my wife said to me, I actually don't know if you even talked to me about that sermon that day. Because usually my wife and I, we just kind of debrief. What did I do well? What could I do better? Things like that. And she said, just so you know, as you're preaching today, should we go on a 21-day fast? And I said, what are you thinking? Well, we already know what we feel like God's calling us to as a church next year for. And as much as you want that to be the announcement today, it's not. But my wife said to me, are we going to wait to do this journey with the church or should we lead the church by doing it first ourselves? And so why don't we go on a 21-day fast so that we can hear from God for next year. Let's just be praying about the building. And number three, there's some places in my life, I don't know if you know this, I'm not perfect and I want God to fix. I need someone to say amen on that. And so why not David the individual, Cammie the individual? So we started on this fast. And during it, it was our next court date is on the 16th of this month. And we planned on hitting it. Seven days into our fast, we receive word that we are going to close on the 14th. Didn't get excited. You know why? Been a lot of closings that we never attended. But as time got closer, our, our fasting got deeper, our prayers got more passionate, this one just felt different. And 14th came, signed all the paperwork, everything's perfect, until I get a phone call at 3 o'clock in the afternoon that something fell through. Never got frustrated, never went to left side. I trusted God. The next morning it was solved. The money transferred into account. When I say the closing has happened, we now are renters for the next 18 months in this facility. And by the way, help me pay the mortgage or the rent because it's $0. So we're going to live rent-free for the next 18 months. Why do I give you that whole narrative and kind of that backstory? Number one, we're going back into worship, and I want you to have a place to worship. Number two, I've been asking God, why now? Why now? And I believe it's for one reason. By the way, I can't prove this to you. You don't even have to believe it. I don't think I can validate it till we get to heaven. And at that point, we're not going to care. But here's what it is. God, why now? Two months ago, we went to the leadership team because as a church, we were running a deficit for this year. Now, as a church, yes, we have reserve funds. But the way we operate is the money we bring in is the money that we're going to spend. We're not going to live off credit cards. And so we've been running a deficit. If you look at the dollar amount that we have spent on our radical generosity, it is nearly identical to what our deficit is. So I went to the leadership team and I said, hey, we don't want to end the year in a deficit. We have two options. Option number one, you guys fire me, which, by the way, went to a vote. I should just know that. Like, nail-biting for a second. I said, option number one, we, we have to lay someone off, or option number two, we stop radical generosity now, and we can probably dig out of this hole by the end of the year. And everyone said the same thing. What do we do with what God's called us to? There wasn't a question. Better to pull money from reserves and do what God's called us to, but what everyone said is, let's just see what God does. Like, we we're going to stop almost three months early, which basically I told God, I'm not going to give you time to come through with what you've called us to. And what we said was, nope, we have to do this. So we have continued our radical generosity. We've continued to give. And I believe in the bottom of my heart, and again, I can't prove this, 
But I just, I, because of the fasting that we were on, because of the prayers that I've had with God, I believe that we've been stuck for five years in this facility and God was waiting for us to give our way out of it. And I believe because of our hearts of generosity, God has been generous with us today. Buildings don't matter. Ben, could, I, could you do me a favor? Could I ask you guys to come forward? One of the reasons we're doing the worship series the way that we are right now is because we don't want you just to hear about worship. We don't want you to hear about sacrificing your flesh. We don't want you to hear about craving for the presence. We want to practice it. Do you know we can practice our faith? I, I, want to, I almost feel like a doctor sometimes where I want to just say, I'm a practicing Christian. I'm, I'm practicing, right? Because I'm not going to do it perfect. But the reason I want to invite the band to come back up now is we want to go back into a time of worship. And here's what we got to realize. If tomorrow all of us were located in a different facility, the presence of God can come. This afternoon, when you're in your living room, without all of us, the presence of God can come. If you're in your work tomorrow and you have to make a very stressful decision in the moment, you can pause long enough for the ark to go down and say, God, what would you do in this moment? I sacrifice my defense. I sacrifice my anger. I sacrifice retaliation. And Holy Spirit, what do we do here in this moment? So I want to go back into a time of worship. And hey, if you have nothing else to worship, join your family by worshiping that God has allowed us to move past this place that we've been in for five years. And guess what, God? I would have rathered five years ago when prices were lower and interest rates were down. Oh, by the way, God, one of the buildings we want, David Hawkins and his church bought. And by the way, he's crushing it. I love David Hawkins. I'm so excited for him. Another building that we wanted, the city bought it. For what? I don't know. But they bought it. By the way, this part cannot be edited in there. You got that? Okay. But listen, there is a building that God has for us. And we're not going to go down there because we put boards together. We're not going to go down there because we get big wheels to come in. We're not going to go down there because we do the loud music and draw a crowd. We're going to go down there because today we're going to tell God where your presence is. Where your presence is. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you to fall upon us. Could I ask everyone to stand under their feet? Holy Spirit, I ask you to fall upon this place in a heavy and a mighty way. And God, if you want our shoes off, if you want our knees bowed, if you want us laughing uncontrollably or speaking in tongues, if you want us running about this place or pulling out old flags and streamers, God, I say this to you, your way. Your way is all that we need. So Holy Spirit, we move into this time to practice what it is we've preached.